Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Well, this morning, I'm going to start off and just ask you if something is unique, it's usually rare, absolutely rare. Have you ever asked the question, why is gold the standard of our money? Why do we prize gold so highly? Now you might answer, because it's rare. And you'd be right. (laughs) That's true. But there's also fish in the sea, deep down under the ocean, that are rare. But gold has permanence. And you could argue, yes, that's true. And fish rot and they smell. So they can't be the standard of our money, can they? It's useless. (laughs) No matter how rare they are. And so we've got rare and we've got permanence. And we're going to add accessibility. Now, there are probably rocks deep down under the surface of the earth that are also just as rare as gold, but you can't reach them. And so that's not any use, is it? They're just as inaccessible as those fish deep down in the ocean. And so they haven't been found yet, and so we've got rare and we've got permanence, and we've got accessibility. And John Piper says that the uniqueness of God is all three of these. He's the rarest of all beings. He has absolute permanence. And through Jesus Christ, he is is accessible. And I'm going to ask Pastor Sai just to hand out these Four gold coins. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do the honors to anyone you want to. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so let's pray. Magnificent God, may we see you today. The true value and beauty and glory of who you are and why you came and your heart towards us that we might respond appropriately and see you for who you are and seek you all the days of our lives. Amen. Amen. So we're in week four of our Set Apart series, A Biblical View of Holiness, and this week our topic is Holiness Restored. Most of our texts are from the book of Hebrews, and this book was written to Jewish Christians back in the day. But we know that it's still relevant to us today. Why? Because the Word of God is permanent. The Word says that even heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away. They remain. God has bound His Word to Himself. And so the author of Hebrews was encouraging Christians 
to stand firm in the face of persecution, in hardships, in life. Telling them, don't give up, don't drift away from the word of God. Even when other things become more interesting, because it's so easy for that to happen. And he's writing to them and telling them, I don't just want you to survive, I want you to thrive and go forward in strength. And he's giving us a hope that is unique, that is rare, that is permanent and accessible. And here's our first slide from Hebrews, and it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, when he uses that word consider, it's not as it sounds in our English language. It just doesn't do it justice. That word consider is not a suggestion. It's not saying, why don't you think about this or think about that, consider this or that. Not a suggestion. That word consider means to focus intensely on, to lock your eyes on. It's intentional. You are valuing something. You know, so often we say, these are my values, but then we don't live up to those values. So the word consider, focus intensely on, and we know that apostle means sent one, and we know that the high priest was someone who represented the people to God and God to the people. And this is our blueprint for us to not just survive, but to thrive and to go forward in strength by considering Jesus, focusing intensely on him. But why, why is this different than it was before? Why? We had Moses, we had the law, we had the high priests. Why are we called and told to consider Jesus? And so our main text today is also Hebrews, and it's Hebrews 7, 28, uh, 23 to 28. And it says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed, sorry, let's go back. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then those for the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This passage is so clear. It's telling us why the old passed away and the new had to come. It's telling us why 
God brought something new. And there are weaknesses that this passage shows us with the previous sacrificial system. There's a couple of weaknesses which have been outlined here. And the first one is the problem. It doesn't seem to be on here. The first one is the problem with priests. Because priests die and priests sin. <laughs> it was clearly outlined in that passage. There's a problem with human mortality that we have. Nobody in this life lives forever. The scripture says that the priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. And so, when one died, a new one is appointed, even when they were great ones. We had Moses and we had Samuel, we had David. And they were great and they led the people in covenant faithfulness through extended periods of time. But what happened? They died. They too were temporary, not permanent. And the second problem? Priests sin. Sorry for the bad news. <laughs> and we know that there were many bad ones recorded in history. They succumbed to defilement and corruption. And today, unfortunately, our news headlines are no, no different. We hear of the corruption and the defilement coming in. And so we had good ones and bad ones. And even though they were the great ones, they still too were flawed and they sinned and they needed to offer sacrifices for their own sins first. And there was another weakness, and that was the problem with lambs. Lambs died, and there were not enough lambs. Once a lamb was sacrificed, we know it was dead, and then the worshiper had to come back again and bring another lamb. How often have you repented of a sin and said, I'll never do that again, only to repeat it again. <laughs> and then we're back where we started. Another day, another innocent lamb killed. In our house, we call it repeat offenders. <laughs> but how many bulls and goats and sheep had to be killed through the thousands of years of God's people to cover their sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and lambs and goats to take away the sins. And so we needed this permanent solution, a new covenant, a better one. We don't have to live broke, disillusioned, and dying in sin. God, in his mercy and unconditional love, said enough 
of the slaying of lambs. But instead, he sent his one and only son that would be slain for us as the perfect lamb. And so here we have the final priest and the final sacrifice from Hebrews again. And it says he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered himself up. Friends, consider Jesus. No wonder the author of Hebrews tells us to focus intensely on the one. Uniquely rare, permanent, accessible. Now, there are millions of ways to consider Jesus. Millions of ways that we could say what he has done for us. But one of them today is to look at the garments for glory and beauty. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Quinton did a magnificent job, which we won't forget. And his topic was holiness lost. And remember, he told us about the fig leaves and how man before the fall was naked and unashamed. And then when they sinned, they started covering themselves with fig leaves. And then God in his kindness, killed an animal and used those garments. He gave them a better garment. But what really happened there? And Pastor Quinton outlined all those fig leaves that we use to try and to cover. And it seems like it was that covering, but I wanna give you another thought today that clothing wasn't instituted just to cover, but it was there to confess. Because glory was lost in the garden. Glory was lost. God's glory on Adam and Eve was lost. And the clothing was there to confess what they no longer were. God's heart is not that we keep covering with all these things. God's heart is that we confess and get free. And so here we see that this clothing came in, and we know that it's not so much the the nakedness in the physical, but it was the nakedness of the heart because Adam and Eve had become the center, and now they were selfish. And trust was broken. They no longer trusted one another because when we are selfish, we cannot trust one another. And covenant has been broken. And so it's referring to the heart. And God was saying, you're not doing such a good job trying to cover. Glory's been lost, but I'm going to do a better job for you. And so even today, we, we know we wear clothes, thank goodness, for comfort and uh, necessity and, and um, to keep us warm. <clears throat> but even, even today, clothes are worn as fashion statements and power and status and getting attention. And then, often, nakedness is revealed through acts of rebellion and impropriety. 
But the pattern that God gave the high priest back then were clothes for beauty and glory. And it says it twice in Leviticus 28 when he outlines the clothing of the high priest. He said these garments are to be made for glory and for beauty. Can you see that everything God does is a shadow of the things to come? Glory was lost and he wants to bring his glory back. And so here we see this outline. This is just an artist's representation of the priest's clothing. And we're going to see, because God was so specific in every single detail, every single um, instruction down to the last thing. And he kept saying, I want to showcase the high priest as a representative of me to the people of his glory and his beauty. So we're going to look at what message he was sending. And these clothes were so incredible. They were made of gold and scarlet and purple and blue and white linen. And it's this heavenly reality. And you know that the tailors who even made this clothing, God said he made them skillful and he put his spirit of wisdom upon them just to make the high priest clothing. Saints, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that, that he puts his spirit of wisdom on us. So imagine what the high priest felt when he was dressing in these garments for glory and beauty. First of all, there was this white turban on his head. And then it had a blue ribbon and, and a gold plate, and it was engraved with holiness to the Lord. First and foremost, the high priest's priority was to minister unto the Lord, holiness unto the Lord. He could never forget. But even then, this turban was a sign of bringing the people's guilt before the Lord. And so the priest was coming, bringing the guilt, but knowing that first and foremost he was to minister to the Lord through this, through his outfit. Then he had two onyx, <coughs> excuse me, onyx stones on his shoulders, and they were engraved with the names of the sons of Israel, six on each onyx stone. And then the ephod, which is like the vest, which was woven magnificently holding the breastplate which held the 12 stones, each a different precious stone, set in gold. And on each one was engraved the name of the tribes of Israel. And so all of these things were held with gold rings and strings and things, all right? It's magnificently made. And then there's the seamless blue robe, symbolizing heaven, authority, and was worn as a kingly dress. And on the bottom of that, we know there was these little gold bells and, and woven pomegranates, perfectly balanced. And what were they symbolizing? We know that the bells were to let us know that the, priest was, the high priest was still alive, but it was also for testimony 
Just like we heard about Emil and Andrea, their testimony of their lives, these bells would ring for testimony and the pomegranates for fruitfulness. And it was perfectly balanced. The priest, the high priest, his walk and his talk were to be perfectly balanced in life. Not just talk and no walk, but perfectly balanced. And then he had this white linen gown underneath. Seamless again. And then underneath his garments, the undergarments, which were to cover his nakedness while ministering. And it's a shadow of the atonement to come. And so these garments were for him to be protected. They were holy garments when he went into the Holy of Holies. And so we understand the weight and the magnitude and the gravity of being set apart. This is what it means to be set apart. Friends, what do you consider to be glorious and beautiful and holy and dignified? Why don't you just take a moment to consider what you think is glorious and beautiful in life? And so Jesus too was dressed for glory and for beauty and for the holiness of God. That's what he lived his life. And he became the final sacrifice. But his glory and beauty looked different. And this is what it says. Jesus wore no fine linen turban, rather a painful crown of thorns. Jesus had no golden headplate reading holiness to God, but a life and death showing nothing but holiness to God. Jesus wore no beautiful ephod, only a purple robe by which he was marked. Jesus had no precious stones on his shoulders, only a cross that we deserved. Jesus had no breastplate with Israel on his heart, yet he died of a broken heart for all mankind. Jesus had a seamless robe that was not torn, but it was stripped away at the cross. Jesus had no delicate sound of bells proving that the high priest was alive, only the sound of pounding nails ensuring his death. Jesus had no linen undergarments to hide his nakedness. Rather, he bore our sins on the cross in nakedness, carrying our shame. And God was saying, by sending his only son, was saying, I'm going to solve your problem of clothing permanently by the blood of my son. And I'll do it with my robes of righteousness and the radiance of my glory. But it doesn't end there. What was God's promise to us? Consequently, sorry, again, they're not, not in the right order. Sorry, I do apologize. His promise to us is that he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is his, this verse saying? He is able to save to the uttermost. 
able to save. Let's look at those words. Two of them are verbs. Able is power. Because the Lord did not have the power to fulfill. It showed us the standard of what God wanted and how our life should be, but it didn't come with the power. And Jesus says that he is able with the power. The next verb is save, which is that word sozo, and it means complete deliverance. From the guilt of sin, the effects of sin, the consequences, he is able to deliver. And to the uttermost, in the most comprehensive way, he's able to save to the end. Friends, he's interested in the state of our souls, in our lives, in our greatest challenges. He says that I'm able to save to the uttermost. I'll be with you through the most difficult challenges and I'll take you through and I'll see you to the end. I'll save you from everything that you need saving from and I'll give you the power to do so. But what is our part? To us who draw near to God through him. So friends, will you let Jesus be your high priest? Will you draw near? What is our response? To put on our priestly robes. <laughs> to put on our priestly robes. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you, be holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Friends, as we consider Jesus, as we focus intensely on him, we should be inspired to live holy lives because he's called us to live as kings and priests. He's called us to represent him and to minister to the people, whether you're in full time or not in the world, wherever you are in your sphere of influence. You are a priest before the Lord. Get dressed in your kingly robes. Make sure that plate is there on your forehead, holiness to the Lord. Let's minister to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, bringing order and glory and beauty in this world, ruling and reigning in righteousness becoming like him in our attitudes, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. No longer self on a cross, but Christ on the throne. And so friends, as we consider Jesus and that he came to make us holy, to dress us back in his glory, to restore that, let's respond appropriate to him by the lives that we live. Let's all stand. And just as Christians, I want us to 
to think about the message today. And if you're a Christian and you feel like you haven't considered Jesus by focusing intensely on Him, by responding appropriately in the way you clothe yourself to minister unto Him, won't you make a new commitment today and say, Jesus, my life is set apart to minister to you and to minister to others. I'm not going to live selfishly. I'm putting myself on the cross and you back on the throne. I want my life to be lived for your glory and for your beauty ministering to you all the days of my life if that's you just commit yourself afresh to the Lord again recognize his value his worth that he is rare permanent and accessible, that He lives to make intercession for us. How beautiful is our God. There is none like Him. None like Him.